0: Welcome back to another episode of Open Court. I am your host, Jake Maynard. With me once again is Will Michael. Will, how are you doing today?
1: Doing great, Jake. Really really great basketball last couple of weeks. Excited to get talking about it.
0: I am too. So we're going to try to do this more regularly. We had some issues last week. and I don't know about you, Will, but I'm glad to be back. This is just a fun way to spend my time talking basketball with you.
1: Definitely. I think especially as we're getting closer to March, you know, you hit the February month, you know, you're one month away from from the best month of the year, um, so I'm really
0: excited to get talking about basketball. Absolutely, as well as I've always said, March Christmas is right around the corner. So, Absolutely. today we're going to lead in with our Prospect Spotlight. This week we chose Jaden Ivey, so our last episode we chose Johnny Davis, bit of a similar player in the fact that they are Big Ten twos. 2s, a um, little bit of a difference, I'd say Davis is a much more capable shooter in my opinion, especially in late game. Will, what do you think there?
1: Yeah, I think overall with Jay Ivy, Um I think you know, you're know you definitely a little bit higher on him than me. Um, but when I watch him, I really like the 6'10 wingspan that he has, um, the defensive versatility. Um, but when I watch him, I still have some questions about his feeling as a primary decision maker and a ball-in-hand guy, um, especially towards the end of a shot clock. Um, I know last week he had the game-winning shot, um, really good buzzer beater shot. Um, but, you know, when I watch him play, I think there's a lot of things in his game that can translate well to the NBA level. But I don't know if I see Superstar translating um, traits, especially as he moves on to the next level, when I compare him to guys who are in the, the perennial top three, like a, a Chet Holmgren, Paolo, and then Jabari Smith. Um, so I think there is a clear drop-off between those three guys and him but I, think but I don't think that's a knock at
0: all, Will those three are I mean, some of the best prospects we've seen in a while any other year all three of them would probably be number one picks
1: yeah, yeah, for sure I, I think comparing him to those three guys is, is unfair I think he's you know, in a class of his own in terms of position and what he can do at the NBA level I think my, my biggest issue with him um, is I think if he gets put into a system where he has to have the ball a lot in his hands um I think he could potentially grow into that role where he could be a ball-in-hand guy where he's, he's facilitating offense and running the show a little bit as that secondary secondary break guy. But I think my biggest issue is when, when he goes into a system, uh, especially with some of those lottery teams, some of those teams have so many holes that I feel like he could be one of those guys like Josh Jackson who goes into a black hole um, of, a, of a team and, you know, he can't get out of it and, and he's out of the league in five years. I don't think that's his trajectory, but I think there's there's a lot of downside risk in terms of him filling a role, but then there's not really any players around him, any stars around him to to do the work that that he needs um, to be a a good good secondary Yeah,
0: I'm definitely higher. I think his floor, most reasonably, is a Jarrett Culver role, where he's in a crowded Timberwolves backcourt there. Uh, Culver just never got a chance to really carve out a role, but it's clear that he
1: had the capability to really play there. Yeah, I mean, I, when I look at some of the, the teams that are near the top in the, in the tanks on you know, the draft order, I'm just looking at some of the teams besides the Trailblazers and potentially a team like the Pelicans who have some, some good players um, that would go around him. But a team like the Rockets, the Kings, the the, uh, the Pistons, the, the Thunder, I, I don't know if he can thrive on those type of teams. So I think drafting him especially to one of those teams that has some stars already in place, or just really, really good players that know their roles already in place is important. I don't think it would be good for him to go to a system that is is really building from the ground up. I think he has to go to a team that that really um, knows where they are and knows where they're going, and that's why for my perfect pick, I have him going to the Magic. You might say, you know, the Magic are completely rebuilding, what are you thinking? Um, But they have two studs that I absolutely love, two unselfish guys, Jalen Suggs and Franz Wagner, Um, two guys who you know, when they facilitate the offense, Jalen Suggs um, and Franz Wagner can, can facilitate a little as well down in the low post and um, shooting. I think Jay Knighty can thrive off those two guys. Um, those are two perfect players that could complement his game. Um, and those well, sure, they complement a lot of people's
0: games. Will and they're doing that right now with Cole Anthony. So I I don't know if I can agree with that one because I'm still a big believer in Cole Anthony, and I think that this is taking a lot away from him.
1: Yeah, I, I still am on Cole Anthony, too. Um, I, I agree with you that they're making a lot of those other players better, but what I'm saying is, if he goes to the Magic, I think he would expedite his, his growth as a player, um, continue to improve as a guy who, you know, when those guys go to the bench, he could potentially be that guy that comes in and, um, you know, leads the offense as a primary guy. And I think if he goes to a team like the Pistons, the Kings, the Rockets, I, I don't I don't see it. I think those teams are... Our black hole organization for him, Um, but we'll have to see if he continues to develop as the season goes on, because from year one to year two, I mean, the development is is pretty crazy.
0: I agree with that, and uh, what I will say is, to any viewers out there that haven't seen it, the reason that Jaden Ivey rose so much on draft boards between the end of the year last year and beginning of this year's season is his U18 play with Canada, the um, sort of that game with Canada, he just looked like a totally different animal. And looking at some of his highlights, I think that that is what people see when they say that he is a top four pick. I haven't seen a lot of that type of Jaden Ivey, where it looks like he is going to be an absolute stud on the next level, where he's ready to take over on the NBA in college. So I, I think it might be fair to say that, okay, well, he's got some issues here with growth because he's, he's not playing that way during the season, but if I'm if I'm looking for a, a player in the draft, high up in the lottery, and the top three are already taken, which they will if you're outside the top three, I like Ivy as a pick because, to me, he is safe. Like I said, at the very least, he's a Jarrett Culver, and Culver didn't exactly work out, but I don't think his is over yet, and I think that had a lot to do with his role, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Will, but I think that, at the very least, Ivy is a guy that's going to be able to play in the NBA for two, three contracts.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the one thing that has me excited about his game, and I've been speaking a lot of negative talk about his game, but I, I do think there are some upside um, potential. There is some upside potential with him, and the reason why I am being a little bit negative is because I think, you know, when you get taken fourth overall, the expectations for you are extremely high. Field goal percentage is up 10% this year, 39 to 48%. His three point percentage is up 20% this year, 25% up to 45%. So when you look at his statistics, three-throw percentage is down 1%, right around 71 72%, 72%. When you look at his percentages, I mean, the, the rocket ship of the field goal and the three point percentage is extremely enticing. But you also have to take into account that he's only played at 20 games this year started 18, played 29 minutes a game. Is the sample size too small? And is is his realistic shooting potential still going to be around that 35 to 37%, which is a great percentage, but if you can get, you know, a 40% three-point shooter out of this guy, I don't disagree with you that this guy could be a complete stud, three-contract, you know, defensive menace who who knocks down a ton of shots every game. That's fair.
0: Um, I don't know if I've seen enough dogging him where I feel like this is a guy who's going to be the number one on a championship team, I think it is absolutely fair to criticize that and say that this is not your number one piece here. But you know what, if, you're, if you've are if you got the fourth pick in the draft, you're really just looking for safe. I, I mean, at least that's my mentality. I think there's some teams you got to swing for the fences, but I think going with the safe Jaden Ivy pick who can keep your team afloat and build some culture around it while you get that guy with the dog mentality to lead you a championship, I think that's a great pick.
1: Yeah, I think I think Jay Ivy, as he continue as we continue to see him over the over the rest of the season, I think there are some things that, you know, especially the the unselfishness, um, you know, continuing to get his teammates involved like Zach Eddy. I think that's something that's definitely put me more on a trajectory to put him in that top five. I just don't know if his upside potential will eventually put me in that fourth spot. Um, so Jake, you want to move on to our final four picks of now? Well? Sure. I mean, you moved the transition. Will, you take it away. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about a couple of these teams. Um, especially, you know, we talked about them extensively last week, but I'm still super, super high on Wisconsin. Um, I know they've had a couple topsy-turvy you know, games, um, but I'm super high on the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, still have them in my final four. I know they're going to be a very tough outcome March. Um, still have the Gonzaga Bulldogs. I love what I'm seeing out of them. You know, I know they're playing at it. one of the weakest conferences in America. Um, I don't know if I would say that this year, Will.
0: I think that Gonzaga yeah, well, actually the got a lot more competition this year.
1: I agree. I, I was more so saying compared to some of the other bigger conferences that, you know, the Kansas and Oliver are having to go through every single night. Um, when you see Gonzaga hang a 110, 120 piece on a team, you know that team's not a very good basketball team.
0: Well, yeah, a um, lot of the good teams are just offense. Not a lot of defense played in that conference, I'll give you that.
1: For sure. And and that helps out uh Chet Holmgren's stats and his potential to be uh the number one pick, maybe get a get his staff up a little bit. His agent is happy. Um so you know, yeah, the other two teams that I have right now, um, obviously Auburn, number one team in the country. I, I have them as, as my champion. Just love the dog mentality and their guards and Jabari Smith. They play with an edge, just love their team. Um, and then the last team I have is Kansas. I think Kansas has a, a good mix of having um, David McCormick down low and then Christian Braun and OJ Ajabi up top. Um, they've got a good three a good man punch. Then they've got other guys, complimentary guys, that are just super, super athletic. Um, and I think Bill Self is a championship level coach that you can't take for granted. Um, so, Jake, going to your team, you have some of the similar teams, but. We got more mixed this on. year. We have hey, more. Jake. Jake, you got a shocker on there. Tell, tell
0: me about Providence. I did. I took Providence. So, look, this is an out-there pick, I know. But what I will say is this. Providence is the type of team that usually I'd say, okay, well, Big East, Big Whoop. Unless you're Villanova, you're not going to do much out of the Big East. I don't expect much from any of them. But what I, what I think is different about the Big East this year is, top to bottom, there's really no off nights. So I think that what I'm seeing from Providence, getting the wins that they have, and uh, maintaining a good win record. I mean right now they're eighteen and two. They have one of the best records in the country and they're in one of the harder conferences. I like what I've seen out of Providence. But what really gets me well is I've seen a lot of guard play out of them and I've seen a lot of guys from a lot of programs that I trust. So one of them that's just been absolutely essential to this program so far has been Al Durham. And he's he's out of Indiana and I get that, you know, Indiana's had some issues but I think that he's had some good guys around him, and he's developed well into a solid leader. And I'm seeing, at this roster, all of their top players are upperclassmen. And when I'm looking for a contender for March Madness, I want the ones that are upperclassmen. I mean, there are seven, eight seniors that are getting 15-plus minutes on this team. And it's working out for them, Will. This is a team that shoots 33% from three collectively, 73% from free throw, and... And that's with one of their guys shooting an abysmal fifty nine percent, and he's getting shots because people are fouling him.
1: I trust this team. I think that yeah. let me just say real quick. Um, so I did. I looked at some some of the advanced stats with with Providence, um, and as you, as basketball fans around know, Ken Pomeroy has a great website. A lot of advanced stats, um, and the easiest one that you know he has that's an advanced stat is luck statistics, which is taking the team's winning percentage and dividing it by their expected winning percentage based on various statistics that they have. And based on his formula, Providence is the luckiest team in the country, according to his formula. Now, he does have them in the top 50 of his rankings, but I will say, when i when I watched Providence a couple of times, I've, I've thought in my head, dang, that is a, that is a lucky break. Um, so that does make sense for the three games that I've
0: watched them play, but I'll let you continue. Look, say luck all you want, but you have two teams that you've, you've got. Your honorable mention, Texas Tech, was beaten by Providence. Wisconsin, beaten by Providence. It's not like they're playing scrubs and getting away with it. No, these are guys that you can say luck all you want. The reality is they're having upsets. They're going through a gauntlet of a schedule this year at least for Providence standards, and they have come out ahead with an 18-2 and record. It's about the best record in the nation.
1: Yeah, so you, so you also have Auburn and Wisconsin in your final four, and then you have... I do, I like yeah. them both,
0: and I think you said everything that needs to be said about them, we've talked a lot about them on this podcast, so I won't yeah. say too much. But what I will say is this, I think that Auburn is, they hit their stride right now, and what kind of worries me is the trajectory of college basketball historically when i see a team like auburn that all the things that need to click have been clicking right around late january early february those teams tend to take a stumble right before a conference tournament so i i tend to like this squad i know i'm not supposed to say that as a kentucky student but i actually do like this squad so i kind of hope that that doesn't happen for
1: them but with with wisconsin i think the best best thing that could happen for auburn is for them to have a couple games coming up play Alabama coming, I think the best thing that could happen to them is losing a couple games here in the beginning of February, getting back a little bit to more of an even keel mentality, um, and getting them a little bit back on track in terms of, you know, we're not this this juggernaut of a team that can't lose. Um, granted, you know, they could win the rest of their games, and I could I could be, be talking um, like a dummy, but at the same time, when I look at them, I totally agree with you. I think hitting your stride a little too early is one of the most dangerous things Um, that a team like Auburn
0: could go through. Yeah, looking at their schedule and the challenge that I think the SEC presents, I don't think that they're going to end up winning out the rest of their schedule. I think that is just about a pipe dream. That's just not going to happen. They're against way too many good teams. Um, And then Wisconsin, it's kind of the same picture they're in for me as well. I don't think they've hit their stride the same way Auburn has, and I think there's more room for growth there than Auburn. But I honestly think that there's a real argument to be made that they are in the best conference in America this year. I've, I know that I've said top to bottom, Big East is, is better, but to me, the reason for that is just that even the teams like DePaul that are getting beat nonstop, I don't feel like they're awful. They've had some good games, but if you look at the Big Ten, man, Nebraska is just... I honestly feel bad for them like they're 0-10 in conference play so you do have that one bye week but that top heavy mentality or at least lineup of the big 10 that is the hardest conference to play in anyways my final final four pick is kentucky um so will you got kansas my my argument against that is well what happened when kansas played kentucky will
1: yeah, you can you can give uh, you can give the answer to that one. <laughs> <Kentucky
0: fan. laughs> all right, well, Kentucky had one of the biggest wins in fog in the history of the building. We won by eighteen points. It's I mean they set all kinds of records. You can go look at that at your own time. It, we don't need to get into all the records, but the game itself was kind of telling to me. Kansas at the time was a one of the top teams in the nation. I mean they were number five, which Kentucky is now in the AP, and. Well, I mean, you've got a good amount of respect for Kansas, and I think that's warranted. I think Kansas is a really good squad, and the fact that Kentucky was able to muscle in the way that they did and take advantage on the inside with Keon Brooks getting to the rim and then the free-throw line and Oscar Shiboy doing what he does best and just fighting for those rebounds, I think that says a lot about Kentucky because in the past, it's been the offense that leads them with a lot of great three-point shooting. Watching that game, I felt like there's a lot more inside presence. And that, that presents a little... Bit of worry for me with Kansas. Well, I I don't know what I think about their interior defense after that game.
1: Yeah, I think after watching that game, I think you know there's definitely some, still some questions about Kansas overall. Um, but I think Kansas's track record this entire season, um, going through and beating some of the better teams in the country, um, like a Michigan State, uh, looking at them beating uh, Texas Tech, who is my honorable mention. Um, Final Four team that I still think is super talented and, and plays so hard. Then um, they beat you know in Iowa State. They've got they've got some tough games coming up. They got Iowa, Kansas has got Iowa at Iowa State this week against Baylor. And then they play at Texas. This three game gauntlet that they've got coming up is going to prove to me whether this team is really a Final Four contender or if they're going to be one of the early exits of the top seeds. Um, so just quickly, let me recap our final four. So I had Auburn, Wisconsin, Gonzaga, and Kansas. You have Auburn, Kentucky,
0: Wisconsin, and Providence. So I do. And what I will say is I like your Kansas pick. I have them as an honorable mention for me. My others being Villanova and Duke. I said it last time. I'll say it again. This is Coach K's last year. There has never been a man more revered by the selection committee. If it is possible, they will have a cakewalk of a schedule. I mean, there would be a red carpet gone from the first round, drawn all the way onto the Final Four for them. I don't know how much I believe in the talent. I'm a little concerned with the health of this team. I think that there's something to be said about the reports of Biancaro's cramps, and I know that's kind of taking care of itself, but I don't like seeing reports that the dude loses seven, eight pounds every game from heavy sweating. AJ Griffin has been coming off an injury. I don't know. I. To me, that team is a big question mark. They've also had, well, they've been exposed a few times in the ACC. And, I mean, well, the best way to put the ACC into perspective is it's like all the historical talent of the ACC has been sucked out and put into the SEC, the Big 12, and the Big 10.
1: Yeah, that's why my honorable mention team for this week is Texas Tech. I've watched them a lot this year, and especially recently. And they have the 17th scoring defense in college basketball and the third best. Defensive efficiency, according to Ken Pom. When I watch them play, they don't have a star in my opinion. When I watch them, they got 11, 12 guys that they play that play super hard. Um, they all play together and they play for their coach. Their coach knows how to coach defense. That's his strength and that's this team's strength. Um, and overall in Ken Palm, they're ranked 12th overall and they've had one of the hardest schedules in the country. Um, and I, I just really like this team. I think top to bottom, they have a lot of players that are really, really good complementary role players. The one thing that concerns me, as I said earlier, is I don't think they have a star. I don't think they have a guy who, when the going gets tough, who are you going to give the ball to? Who are you going to put the ball in the hands of? Um, they do have Bryson Williams averaging Kevin McCuller and Terrence Shannon average, averaging uh, averaging 12. McCuller is averaging 10, but when I watch them, I, I don't see I don't see a guy on their team who. At the end of the game, um, I, I completely trust that the ball is in his hands, but I trust all five of them together. So I think if they can get a lead late, I think they've got a great shot to win in the NCAA tournament. However, if they've got to come back from two to four points down there's
0: a couple seconds left, I don't know if I trust Fair enough. All right, I'll, I'll quickly say that with Villanova, who is my final honorable mention, I think that they've just got too much upper-class talent. They've got too good at organization, too good at coaching Absolutely. Jay Wright. You just can't discount them. I mean, look, they haven't looked great right now, but I think it's fair to say that there's a very good chance they turn things around in time for March. All right, Will, let's let's go to our mid-major shout-out, which is new to the show this week. We we wanted to talk a little bit about the teams that don't get love. So I, I put it to Will. I texted him and said, hey, you know what? Who's, who is it that's standing up for you? And, Will, you said Davidson. So tell me about them.
1: Yeah, so Davidson's got a very veteran group. Um, they've got a pesky point guard, six foot, um, plays really hard, plays consistent. Then they've got a couple really big guys who are unrattled under pressure, um, really tall guys, both foreign both foreign players. Um, and when I look at this team, as I, as I look at Texas Tech, I like watching teams that have five guys in the court who are all solid. You don't have any liabilities on the court. You, know, you don't hide a guy in the corner. All five guys play hard. Um, all five guys are really, really solid players. And when I watch this team, they got four guys who average between 12 and 16 points, and they're seventh in field goal percentage in the country, fifth in three-point percentage, and fourteenth in three-throw percentage. All that added up, they've got a lot of really solid players. They shoot the heck out of the ball. And when I look at them, as long as they don't play a team that's overly athletic, overly aggressive, and I know a lot of the teams coming into this NCAA tournament um, especially of uber athletic team. Um, as long as they get a couple good matchups, I can see this team easily making the Sweet 16 um, and putting pressure on potentially a one or two seed in the Sweet 16 and pressing for a potential lead eight bid. Um, however, if they play a team in the first round that you know is a super uber athletic team, pressing, getting in their grill, you can see them falling early in the in the tournament. So they're almost a boomer bust team to me, but at the same time, I feel like they're very solid. Um, and they'd be a good pick for anyone looking for a, a mid-major 316
0: team. What do you think about them? You know, I had the same thought. I I immediately looked at their shooting percentages, because when I think Davidson, I think, oh, man, I, I don't want to play those guys. If they're hot, you lose. And this year, 40.8% from three, 78% from free throw. Just one through five, they've got guys that can stretch the floor. I, I mean, whenever I've watched them, I am blown away. They've got one guy from uh, Korea, I believe, who's a wing. That score. Yep, they're leading scorer. He's a wing with the type of scoring potential that's got him on NBA boards. He's got length. He's a shooter. I don't, I don't know if I necessarily believe in him as an NBA player, but anyone who's a dead eye shooter at six seven six eight, that's someone that I'm going to keep my eye on. Um, so what I will say is I went today and I looked into the latest Bracketology. In the Washington Post, Patrick Stevens did one, and he had Arkansas as the 9 playing number 10 Davidson. And I think that is a really good matchup. So Arkansas had a skid when they had their um, some injuries to their backcourt. But now that Arkansas is back, they're, they're starting to turn it around. I think that Davidson can upset that team pretty easily. The only thing I'll say is Arkansas is getting used to the more physical brand of basketball from the SEC. So depending on foul calls, maybe that rattles Davidson. Will, what do you think about that potential matchup?
1: I think that's a really interesting matchup because I think Davidson has got the shooting ability and the offense to really stretch Arkansas. I've watched Arkansas a considerable amount this year, and I haven't been as impressed as I usually am with them. Um, I've told you that a bunch this season. Um, and looking at Davidson, I mean, they've got the 11th best adjusted offense in the country, according to Ken Palm. And as you mentioned, um, a couple of their, couple of their players, Hong Jung Lee and Foster Lawyer, lawyer um, two veteran guys who just know how to play, know how to play complementary basketball. I feel like Davidson is going to be a really tough out in the NCAA tournament, um, and I, I would pick Davidson in that matchup.
0: Yeah, I think for me, it really depends on health. I mean, when Note was out, they had some serious issues. Van Over has missed some time. Robinson has missed some time. Arkansas is like a lot of the SEC teams where there's there's been some injuries that have kind of determined the outcome of a handful of games for them. So we'll see what type of team they bring into March. But for now, I think Davidson is a safe upset there. Not that, you know, a 9-10 matchup is much of an upset. Anyways, well, I wanted to also give a quick shout-out to Boise. So Boise State has won 14 straight right now. That's the second longest streak behind only Auburn. You know what team was ahead of them? Who? It was Davidson. Davidson lost just the other night. Lost their streak. Yep. But but Boise right now, they're 8-0 in a tough Mountain West. We had this talk the other night about how the Mountain West could legitimately have, like, four teams in the tournament. And I think Boise is one of them. I've been a fan of Colorado State for a while now, and Boise handled them. Um... Look, it's, it's not just them that they've, that they've won against, though. There have been some non-conference wins as well. They beat Old Miss, who's, you know, had some issues this year, but they're an SEC team that's not Georgia or Vanderbilt, so I'll take that as a quality win. They beat Washington State early in the year. I mean, Pac-12, that's a Power 5 team, regardless of how good they are. For a Mountain West team, that's pretty solid. And Utah Valley, who's, I mean, they've had a really good interior presence, and... It was the first game of the year, real early on, so I get it when you know there's a loss there. But they turned it around, so I'll take that as a quality win. And well, speaking of, speaking of that region, let's let's move on to our surprise players. And an out of Las Vegas, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, I have Bryce Hamilton. So Bryce Hamilton has just been on an absolute tear lately. And now, what I'm about to read, you will. This kind of blew my mind. The game that he had against Colorado State just the other night. So strap in. He had 45 points.
1: Wow. That's that's the type of thing you just don't see in college. That, that's, that's that's really hard to do. I don't care what conference you're playing. in. Scoring 45 points is one of the most impressive things you can do in college. Here's
0: the kicker, Will. He made eight three-pointers on 14 attempts. Yep. He had seven rebounds and five assists only a single turnover. That was incredible. I mean, that is that is arguably the best game that I have seen all year long in the college landscape. So, look, last six games or so, he
1: has not averaged.
0: He's not had a game under 20 points. He had another that was in the 30s. When he's hot, he is hot. He is just a dangerous player. I don't know how much I believe in him as an NBA player, we'll have to see how they finish out the year. They've still got some hard tests, they play Boise, who I just shouted out a while ago. They have another matchup with Colorado State, they've got Fresno State on the schedule. I don't think this is going to be a tournament team, but look, they've got the matchups where they can kind of give him some love and show us whether or not we're going to see Bryce Hamilton in the NBA draft. Alright Will, you've, you've been harping on Kansas all day long, tell us your player.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's a, your pick. I loved your pick. Great pick. Um, but my surprise player is O.J. six five guard from Kansas. So I remember watching this guy when he was a true freshman at Kansas. He wasn't playing. He was getting redshirted. And Kansas had some injuries. So they inserted this guy, O.J. Achabi, and immediately I fell in love with his game. He was a guy who was not a great shooter as a freshman, shot 31% from three as a freshman. Um, bumped it up to 34% of the sophomore, then slowly climbed it up to 38. Now this year he's just shooting a whopping 46.4% from three, which is absolutely astounding when you watch him from freshman year to senior year. Um, but what I especially love about this guy um, is that he, he's increased his volume on his three-point percent, on his three-point shots. He's increased his volume on a, across almost every metric. And what he's done is he's almost gotten even more efficient as he's gone on in his career. Um, and what I, what I especially love about his defense is that he always wants to draw the toughest assignment on the offensive end. Um, whoever the other team's best player is, he wants to guard him. And even with his increased load on the offensive end, um, I still see the defensive personality that made me fall in love with him when he was a true freshman getting, getting unredshirted by his coach. Um, burning that red shirt even when he really wasn't ready um, as such a young player. Now he's a senior, he's the leader of one of the best teams in the country. Um, And the one thing that I would say is his negative and something that he needs to continue to work on as he moves on to the next level and as he continues on with this college season if he wants Kansas to go to the Final Four, um, that, that could pop up later in the tournament, is his free throw percentage. Stayed right around 69%, still only getting there about three to four times a game. Um, throughout his career and i think that's something that for him he's got to continue to improve on that and if, if the tournament game gets late i know kansas has some good guards but you know ajabi's got to be the guy that steps to the line makes his free throws um, and moves kansas to the next round because i know he's going to be a consistent shooter during, during the regular parts of the game but you know, come, crunch, come crunch time he's going to have to step up um, and also i'd just like to mention his, his field goals um, so, originally as a freshman, he shot seven field goal attempts a game. Now he's shooting close to 15 attempts per game. Um, and as I mentioned, he's shooting three field, three-pointers three, three a game. Now he's shooting close to seven. I mean, he's basically doubled his volume um, and almost doubled his points. Almost every single statistic he has gotten better at, and he's just somebody that I absolutely love watching play. He plays with heart, plays with passion, and he's a guy that I think can lead Kansas to not only the Final Four, but potentially the promised land. He's got to continue to to make free throws though. Um, I think the think, best Coach way. Okay. I think
0: the best way to see for sure what type of impact this guy's got on his team. Watch Kansas tonight. Aqibahji like, not playing tonight. He's. I don't think it's anything to worry about. Will, but he's not traveling with the team, and they've got a guy against them in Iowa State named Isaiah Brockington. Guard's on a tear. I mean, he's. He reminds me of, well, I don't know if there's anyone that he reminds me of from that program, but he is a solid, solid player, and I just, I don't know who's going to guard him. I think Christian Braun can pick up some of the scoring from the wing. I think Lightfoot, who's been there since before we were born, can do something to keep this team afloat. I think that, you know, you're going to get something out of David McCormick down low against this Iowa State team, but I think the defense is really going to suffer without Igbaji. I think he is a guy that you can anchor on.
1: Yeah, I think I think the one thing that I do I have noticed about Baji is I think he's made a guy like Christian Braun so much better. Even though I have seen a lot of improvement in Christian Braun, I've seen him popping up in the twenties of mock draft. I think Christian Braun. Well, has, that's a mistake. Um, I I think I agree, but I think Christian Braun has popped up in those conversations because people are paying a lot more attention to Kansas as a Baji is is being able to, to facilitate lead that offense and Braun can play a more complimentary role off of him. Um, early in his career, Baji was the guy who's playing off of the the lead guy. So it's really cool to see a guy who was kind of a role player, took his lump, you know, didn't play well some games, played well other games. Now I mean he's just he's been on an absolute tear this season and he's you know, we were talking about it before, he's arguably number one or two in consideration for, for player of the year.
0: Until um, he got stomped by Oscar Shebly in that last matchup. <laughs> <laughs> he dropped a little bit there, Will.
1: He did not look good that night. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Um, yeah, so I guess to close it out, Jake, you want to get to our uh, to our Tankathon steals. So first, I I'll just like to say every week, you know, we, we run the simulations for, for Tankathon.com, um, great website. And we look at, you know, what players, what teams Tankathon has fitting where. Um, you know, we, we're going to create our own mock drafts, our own boards. But we just want to see, at the present moment, we're still months away, you know, where teams are, you know, where players are potentially going to go. Um, So, Jake, I know you have a couple guys later in the first round, but then you have, you know, our guy Johnny Davis. Talk about where those fits are.
0: Yeah, so for me this week, I was looking at it, and I think there's a ton of guys you can kind of hang your hat on and say, we're going to take a shot with him. but. There's three to me that just look like great fits. So, Johnny Davis, New Orleans, I think that is, with the exception of him maybe having to be more of a ball handler than I would want out of him early in his career, I think it's a really good look. I don't think they'll do it, but they have the potential to run the triangle with him, Zion, and Ingram, and that's the type of confidence I have in Johnny Davis. I think you can hang your offense on him early in his career. Um, So, look, I know Zion is developing a shot, but the way I see it is he's more of an interior presence. You have Ingram who can spread the floor, and you have Davis who can spread the floor. I think those three right there, that's the makeup of a solid offense. I think I mean, you need some more pieces, you need some build, but I think that is the type of pick you make, and you look back at it long-term from the NBA playoffs, and you say, that's what we did to make this organization what it is today. Um, i up. I'll then go on that's, to. That's, I
1: would I'll just comment that that's, I think that personally is that would be the best pick of any pick that I've seen so far in the mock draft. That is the perfect pick next to Zion and Brandon Ingram. Yeah, I
0: I think they mix so well. The only question for me though is who's going to be the distributor there. I don't think any of the three I mentioned have the primary ball handling skills to run an offense. So you know, if someone has to step up or. I don't know. Maybe they sign a good playmaker in free agency. Maybe they draft a great playmaker that turns out to be even better than the pros. But I think those three are the makings of a really successful playoff offense. So, Will, I'm curious about your, your take on this one. So I think Patrick Baldwin at 13 is a steal in the same way it was a steal when Michael Porter Jr. was drafted so late by the Nuggets. I think it's just a matter of his potential is so worth being taken that late. I know the Hawks have taken so many wing players the last few years, but I just I don't see how you pass him up at 13. So what are your thoughts on this guy?
1: Yeah, I think my, my biggest issue is with the fit. I think the Hawks have swung and missed a couple times and swung and hit some of these boomer buff prospects. Um, I think for the Hawks, personally, I think they got to go out and, and get... You know, a six four to six seven guy who can come in and immediately play right away and not be a project type player. I think Patrick Baldwin is too much of a project for them, and that's why when I saw that on the mock, I,
0: I oh didn't man, really I disagree. Like I think that they're not trying to compete right now. I think right now they can make a playoff run, but they're not in the championship winning mode. I think you need a few years. I think it's fair to say two three years with. Trey Young and John Collins working together, they can get significantly yeah, yeah, better.
1: Yeah, you say that, but it's Travis Schlank. If we were in those if we were in that position, I think we would both understand that, but I think Travis <laughs> Schlank under- <laughs> Travis Travis Schlenk doesn't understand. Travis Travis Schlenk wants to go out and build a winning team by the end of this year going into next year to go win a championship. And I think someone like Patrick Baldwin may be you know, a piece that could be traded away for a, a vet. But I think they're in win-now mode. So I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with the, the placement of Patrick Baldwin as the 13th pick. I don't think that's a terrible place for him to go. I think the team that would draft him as the Hawks would be, you know, if, if, if I'm in Travis Schlank's position, I think that's a good pick. But Travis Schlank is an aggressive GM, and I think he wants to go out and get a winner right now.
0: I wouldn't be surprised if he traded the pick to be honest. Whoever falls at 13 and gets Patrick Baldwin, congratulations to you, you got a steal. I would not be surprised if that <laughs> happened. Okay, <laughs> right. Will, you had AJ Griffin. Tell me about why you chose him.
1: Yeah, we'll get into AJ Griffin a little bit more later in the later in the show as we go on. Um, but when I, when I initially saw this mock, I was kind of taken aback at him being the 10th pick to the Wizards. I know he's been flying up draft boards and rightfully so. I mean, his potential is, he oozes potential. He's just, he's not even tapping, people say somebody's tapping the surface of their potential. He's not even tapping the surface of his potential. His his potential is through the roof. Um, But when I look at the fit, you know, it has them take, it has the Wizards taking him at number 10. And I know we've talked a little bit about the Wizards. But I think he could be an enticing piece, um, especially next to a guy like Bradley Beal, try to entice Bradley Beal to stay. Could be a nice wing piece next to him. And then I I know, you know, guys like Danny Advia and Rui Hachimura are two guys that I absolutely loved in the last two drafts. <laughs> Rui is, you know, a guy who offensively has looked really good. And Danny this year has been,
0: you know, besides the injuries, he's been rated by a lot of advanced metrics as one of the ten best defenders in the NBA. Well I think you um, just hit the nail on the head why I would not take him. Injuries. I think the Wizards have seen enough of that. And I think A.J. Griffin is an injury risk. So I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate and say, how about a different Duke player who came out of high school looking as possibly the best prospect in Harry Giles? And it was just injury after injury with him, and it it destroyed his career. So, Will, talk me into this pick. Why is he not a Harry Giles? I think Potential with AJ Griffin is so much higher than a guy like
1: a- Harry Giles because of the shooting and because of the ball handling and facilitating potential that he has. I think with a guy like Harry Giles, he was six foot ten, obviously was rated as number one prospect by a ton of systems coming out of high school. But I think what we're seeing from AJ Griffin is that he can be that number one lead dog guy potentially in the future. And if you're a guy like Bradley Beal, that's an enticing pick to have. And the Wizards are not winning now. I mean, when you look at them, they have a lot of good vets around them, but they're not, they're not winning next year, the year after that. they got to get somebody in here who has a ton of potential. And it's a lot different situation than the team that drafts after them, which is the Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies are taking, in this mock draft, Keegan Murray. Who would be, in my opinion, a power forward from Iowa? Fantastic really good, pick. Six foot eight, two twenty five, sophomore. I mean, that that to me is a perfect pick because that guy can come in and play right away. Grizzlies don't need a you know a boomer bust prospect who's going to take three or four years. They can get one of those guys every couple years. But they got a good enough team. Where it's they another Desmond player. Bain pick. Wow. Yeah, it's a safe pick yeah, that you know another, another Desmond Bain.
0: You know it's he can good add good good. at least something to your team. I agree. That's a good good yeah.
1: shot yeah and I, I think just going back quickly to the to the wizard's point if, if i'm in the wizard's shoes tommy shepherd i'm thinking a.j griffin has so much upside so much potential that you know even if bradley beal does decide to lock i can build a.j griffin around whatever package bradley beal gives me back and boom i got a quick rebuild that i can talk i can tell my owner hey i got a.j griffin X, Y, and Z plus these two first-round picks. Boom! We're rebuilding on the fly. We got Denny. We got Rui.
0: You easily get I seven first-round picks with the Hawks. We're saying that earlier. Number thirteen. There you go, Wizards. You got that one too.
1: There you go. And you can get Patrick Baldwin too. K- carry on top. Everything comes full circle. You get them both. You get these two Boomer Bust prospects. Um, perfect. We, we both are happy. Everyone's happy.
0: Yeah. So talk about Boomer Bust. Our, our last mention of the Tankathon Steel is Jaden Hardy. He's projected at 17 now. This guy has just been plummeting in mocks all year long. And while that has me worried, I've, everything I've seen from him is that he is not what I expected. Personally, I had the guy as high as number three coming out of high school in mock drafts, but look, what I saw from him as a shooter in high school, you, you cannot ignore that. I think it's very common for guys to have a bad year when they take that step up. Look what happened with B.J. Boston. Boston had a terrible year at Kentucky, and he's already showing NBA potential. He's having games where he managed to score 20 a night off the bench. So for me, I don't know if that's the best comparison here, but I think it is fair to say that Hardy's just not ready for that step up. So he's projected right now to go to the Raptors at 17. And I think you put him next to Fred VanVleet. You got Nick Nurse, who is a solid coach, You've got a point guard that can kind of teach him the ways of the NBA and a coach that can run a good system for him. I think that's perfect. You have him and Scotty Barnes that you spend a few years working with and hopefully one of the two develops into the star that they can be. And who knows? Maybe you entice a guy to join in. Maybe you get another draft pick and suddenly you're looking at another deep playoff run. I
1: think think that would be a great pick. I, I totally agree with you. I think he's Somebody who, again, I, I keep saying it, but there's a lot of guys in this draft that I see as, as guys who have such good upside, but they're not showing it at the current moment. Um, and I was looking at Jaden Hardy's stats. I mean, he's he's shooting under 27% from three and under 38% from the field. That's that's not going to cut it. That screams mean, B.J. You know,
0: Boston, though. Same story. It bro. does.
1: It does. It does. Um, and I think there's a lot of guys in the draft like that, and I think that's why you know, especially us, we're just so excited about this class, this class overall has so many guys that can go and fill roles, but there's other guys who are going to be picked later in the first round, early second round, maybe even late lottery, who we feel like are are just huge steals, um, and that, that's a great that's a great identifier um, in Jade's heart party. I think that
0: it would be easy for there to be about four or five guys taken in the second round that we end up seeing as role players or even starters for years to come. I mean, there's been really promising freshmen. The best one off the top of my head is, is Caleb Houston. He has, he's had a rough year at Michigan. Everyone remotely associated with Michigan has had a rough year. But a second round pick for a guy like that, I'll take it. Peyton Watson, same way. They've both had plenty of hype out of high school. If I'm a solid team that's in win-out mode, and I need someone to stash and say, okay, I've got solid assistant coaches to build with them, let them go to work with these two. Put them in your G League program for a few years, and who knows, maybe you're still at a level to compete when they're ready to take that next step.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point, and as I, as I keep bringing back, there's just there's so many guys as we look up and down that I'm so excited to talk about, whether it's, you know, I mean, we can talk about next week, you know, Shaden Sharp potentially coming in this draft. He shakes everything up if he can in this draft and be somebody who can be drafted. We'll get into like that nine, more nine, later, nine.
0: but I'm going to tell you as someone who's around the area, I don't expect that to happen.
1: Okay, yeah, I mean, we, we can definitely discuss that on, on later pods, but that's something that you know could potentially shake up the draft. The guy like Benedict Matherin from, from Arizona, Kendall Brown from Baylor, there's so many guys in this draft that excite me.
0: Awesome. All right, well, we are running out of time. Well, it has been a pleasure talking with you as always. We are hey, so Jake. happy to have you here.
1: Jake, as always, it was a pleasure. Um, there's, so many good, there's so many good games on, especially tonight. Um, we're recording this on February 1st. So if you guys are listening to this right now before, before the games or after the games, just go back and watch them if you didn't get to watch them because there are some great college basketball games on tonight.
0: As always, that's the great part of conference play. All right, well, thank you for joining us in our second-ever episode of Open Court. We appreciate you listening, and we look forward to having a long career talking to you about all things college basketball and potential pros.
1: Thanks, guys. Have a great week.
0: All right. Till next time.